Good morning, everyone. Friends, last night I gave a homily focused on our first reading from Nehemiah. Uh, this morning I'll focus on our gospel. And uh, our first reading, however, uh, uh, sixth century before Jesus of Nazareth came, uh, the Israelites, the Jewish people, found themselves in captivity in Babylon. Uh, Jerusalem was in ruins uh, because of that. Uh, sometime later, uh, a king, the king of Persia, would then conquer Babylon. And when he did this, he gave permission for the Israelites to return to their home if they wanted to. And many did, and when they arrived, they found uh, Jerusalem, their homeland in ruins. Very clearly, our second reading is uh, un quick to understand. Paul said we should be united uh, in that, but we have different things to do. And my friends, um, Jesus came that we might have life to the fullest. And um, I suspect most of us would agree that when it comes to life, uh, we could say that life is not just for talk, uh, but for action. It is for living and doing and uh, not just observing. In today's gospel, we find Jesus in the synagogue proclaiming a section from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Um, in this case, because normally the men were allowed in um, to read the scriptures, and uh, um, that person would be permitted to choose which one they wanted. And so Jesus chooses this one. And uh, Isaiah is, as you remember, the Old Testament prophet who, if you will, for lack of a better word, profiled <laughs> uh, in advance the Messiah. The Messiah would be identifiable not so much by what he would say as, as much as he would do. The core of this profile shows the Messiah bringing the gospel of salvation to the poor, freeing people from their physical and spiritual bondages, and proclaiming a time of grace and forgiveness from God. It is the core of the profile that Jesus selects when he stands up in the synagogue that day and reads. When he finishes, he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What does he mean now? He means that he is the Messiah that the Old Testament spoke about. And in this case, what Isaiah had profiled for them. And now the time has come for him to put that profile into action. The reaction of the congregation, if you will, to Jesus is that their eyes are fixed intently on him. They fix their eyes on him not because they are angry with him in this case, but because they are intrigued. They fully realize what he has just done, the claim that he has just made, that he is the Messiah. And he does not sit down because he is finished, but because following the culture of the rabbi, that's why he's sitting down. <laughs> and he does. He goes at length uh, to explain, expound upon the claim that he has just made. Recall, my friends, um, he's going to tell them he's the Messiah and he's going to show how this is. Uh, my friends, and they're going to have to accept it or not. Um, it's not an easy thing for them. Um, recall a very 
uh, memorable scene in the gospel where John the baptizer, remember, that's the cousin of Jesus, where John the baptizer is in prison awaiting execution at the hands of King Herod. John had, in an earlier time, introduced Jesus of Nazareth, his cousin, to the people as the Messiah. And now he is having doubts about Jesus. Perhaps the circumstances that John is steeped in has caused him to doubt. In his prison cell, John the baptizer wondered if Jesus really is the Messiah. Or has he been deceived by a false one? This is kind of mind-boggling. John sent his disciples and the people flocking to Jesus. Remember that day of the Jordan uh, when he said in his many words, Look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is the Messiah. Follow him. You'll find that in John chapter 1, 29 through 34. So now John sends messengers to Jesus with this question, Are you the one who is to come? Or should I look for another? Everyone's part of the problem was in Jesus' time, as well as John the baptizer, it was commonly thought and taught by the religious leaders of the time that the Messiah would save Israel from political subjugation and suppression. Most hoped for immediate military and political relief, for complete freedom from all foreign oppression. Jesus makes it clear he came for something different, something more. He came to save people from sin and eternal damnation. In that particular gospel, Jesus sends the messengers back with proof of his Messiahship for John. I believe Jesus was comforting him. He is doing precisely what Isaiah had profiled of the Messiah and his actions. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are clinged. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. Matthew 11, 4 through I believe Jesus tried to comfort his cousin. If it was me, I probably would have been insulted. What? I've been doing all these things, and you're asking me if I'm really him? But Jesus doesn't do that. I think he comforts his cousin. But um, it seems that Jesus himself demanded that there should be applied to him tests or proofs, that of deeds, not just words. The proof of the deeds and actions over words never changes. Actions speak louder than words. Jesus is a man of action. He does things. His actions matched his words, or to put it in another way, his words always manifest into action. In the Gospels, later Jesus would say, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. John chapter 3, 34. Chapter 4, 34. My friends, not only did he, but his mother, Mary, was a doer of God's word, too. She said, 
I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. That's the word she spoke to the angel. Luke 1.38 Every saint of the word and not just an admirer or studier of it. So to all of you, the baptized, let the challenge of the Apostle James to the first Christians be the challenge to you, the Christians of today. There, James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deluding yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man and promptly forgets what he looks like. My friends, our second reading talks about unity in Christ and that everyone has their role to do. And we see Jesus, the Father sent him, and he did his role. And uh, uh, the other thing that's really mind-boggling to me about God is how he doesn't need anything. He created everything. He needs nothing. And yet, he desires. Did you guys ever stop to think about that? He desires. Oh, are you sure, Father? I am absolutely sure. Because Jesus is the icon of the Father. Jesus desired something. That we be one, as he and his Father are one. Something the world has not given him yet. Even within our Christian communities, all 35,000 denominations of us. We cannot give the Master, our Lord, our Beloved, what He desires. And yet, as He did with His cousin, and to do our parts, all of us, each one of you, me. Father, are you sure about that? I am absolutely sure about that. How do I know? Last night I gave an example about the Eucharist. It shows how God's desire for our cooperation with him is necessary, desired. At the beginning of Mass, we have unleavened bread and some wine. And, um, but during the Mass, through the sacrament of the priesthood, And words of consecration, that bread and wine become the Eucharist, meaning Jesus' very body, blood, soul, and divinity. He becomes truly present under the appearances of bread and wine. My friends, absolutely. No human being could ever make this happen by human effort alone. Only God can transform bread into wine, into his son's body and blood. However, Jesus desires our participation. Jesus desires that something happen. My friends, if I just leave the bread and wine on the altar for an hour, for a day, for a month, hi, for a month, a week, a year, it will never turn into the Eucharist, into Christ's body and blood. 
must, and the bishop, of course, the bishop and the priest must do their part. They must obey God's command and will. And through the sacrament of ordination, must say the words of consecration for it to change. It won't do it on its own. God can do anything, of course, if he wanted to do it, but that's not how. Instead, he desires our participation. In this case, me, the priest, going up. I can give it to you. You can take it home and nothing's going to happen to it. And if anyone dared to come up and say the words of consecration out of a priest, not going to happen <laughs> because that's being disobedient. It's my part. But each one of you who are baptized have yours too that you must do that God desires from you in your state of life. And this is what Paul's getting at, the core of what he's getting at. Our lives then, if you will, are like the bread and wine. Ordinary, if you will, but with the potential to become something truly other, something extraordinary. No matter how hard we try, we cannot make that transformation. Time our Lord desires. Gosh, I just have been struggling with that all week. Not struggling in a bad way, just trying to get my head around that. He desires that this happen. He desires that you live your lives of holiness and grace so that the world might know his son. I guess he could have put it just across the sky if he wanted to, right? <laughs> but he doesn't. He relies on you. Important. And last night I talked about how the culture of the world uh, dictates to people, confuses them, tells them they're not worth very much unless they have money, power, looks, prestige. It's a lie. It's a false narrative. And people have been buying into it and subscribing to it. You simply have to just watch the news and read the newspaper. The wickedness people say and do to each other. The rates of suicide. You have great worth. You have great worth. You simply have to look at the cross. See the price that was paid to tell you how much you are loved and how much you are worth. My friends, I hope that my desire is that this parish always walk in holiness, but my desire is that this parish is not just a house of God, but a home. A home where all of you come and feel like you're home. And in doing so, to be yourselves. Yes, to give God glory and worship and praise. But to come here and to feel safe. And to feel loved. And to feel valued. Not only by God, but of course by his little shepherd. <laughs> and everything. So uh, we will continue working on that sense of inclusiveness. Uh, not in the way the world means it. Uh, but... Um, making this parish always seem like home. Because that's a very special feeling when one's been away and they come home. Friends, do not be only hearers, but doers.
Today, the greatest testimony to Jesus Christ, the most powerful, most real to people, are you. Go and testify on his behalf.